seat. You know, one of the lessons that we tried to teach our daughters when they were young was really simple, and it was this. Help is not a bad word, right? Now, some kids are pretty sure it is a bad word. In fact, I think most kids go through a stage where, what do they say when you offer help? I can do it myself, right? I can do it by myself. They want to accomplish the task on their own, but as a parent, you're looking on and they're trying to, you know, get a button done or they're trying to get something off a high shelf and you just know there's no way they can do it. And so you want to jump in and help, but they don't want that. They want you to know, they want to know themselves that they can do it all on their own, but we see this opportunity to teach for them to learn something new and they're pushing it all back. And you know, the truth is, sometimes we're a little bit like that, even as adults. We have this desire to convince everyone, even though we know it's not true, we have a desire to convince them that we know how to do everything. And if we're afraid if we receive some help, then the people around us, coworkers, friends, family, are gonna find out our secret. We don't know how to do everything, but we push back. And we pretend like help sometimes is a bad word. So how do we handle that? There's times in life when the secret gets out because we fail and everyone finds out we really don't know how to do everything, but because we've tried to do it on our own, there are no practices, there's nothing in place that helps us when we really do need the help of other people. So today I want us to think about that. We're coming to the end of this series that I'm calling Talk is Cheap, and we've been looking through the the book of James, listening to this great sort of super practical teaching. And we've been learning from James what it means to live as a Christian. And James deals with this, this applicable, practical way to live out our faith in Jesus Christ. Now he's writing to these early Christians, they're Jewish Christians, okay, just like James was a Christian Jew in the ancient world. He's writing to people very much like him and his circumstances and instructing them. And so he begins this section, the very last section in the book, James chapter 5, verse 13, this way. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now we're picking up in some ways where we left off last week in that James is still writing to these Christians who, for many of them, they came from the poorest people in the culture so they knew what poverty was. They've become Christians, and because of that, they've been cast out of their community. They may be facing some kind of persecution. It may be that friends and relatives have been arrested, some of them even killed, because they were Christians. And so James, writing to these other Christians, says, if you know what suffering is like, if you're facing suffering, pray. Now, it's not surprising to us. Many of us have read enough of the Bible to know that there are lots of places in Scripture where biblical writers tell us, pray. And so that's not a shock. And yet we wonder, what would prayer really, what would it do in those circumstances? For these early Christians who were suffering, or maybe for us, in a little bit different circumstance as 21st century American Christians, if we're facing suffering, maybe just because life is difficult or maybe because of our faith, What is prayer really going to do in that circumstance? Well, here's the thing. I really do believe in the 
the power of prayer. But I don't believe in the power of prayer for prayer's sake, of prayer on its own. I believe in the power of prayer because when we pray, we're praying to a powerful God. And because God is powerful, because God is engaged in creation, because He deals with the reality that we deal with, I believe that prayer can be powerful because of this powerful God to whom we pray. What we find in Scripture is lots of stories that help us understand this. Because there are people who are faithful to God, who go to Him in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of threat, and they pray, and and God responds. Sometimes God changes what He's going to do because people of faith come to Him and ask Him to act. And I believe we're praying to the same God. And that there are times when we as individuals go to God or we as a church, a body of believers, go to God and we ask Him to do something and God responds because He's a powerful, loving, engaged God. But you know, I also believe that there's great power in prayer, not just because God changes things, but because prayer changes me. Because there's times I go to God and ask Him to do something, but also as a part of my prayer, because I'm following the example of Jesus, not because I have such wisdom, but because Jesus did, I ask that God would do His will. That it's more important that what God wants to be done is done over what I want to be done. And that prayer can change me. Because there are times that I look back and I see that God did not do what I wanted Him to do when I prayed. And sometimes I realize that's a really good thing because God knew far more than I did about what was about to happen, about the path that I was going to take or that other people were going to take. And what He wanted to be done was way better than what I wanted to be done. And so there are times when when prayer helps me understand that what I need is God's wisdom. What I need is an understanding of what God's going to do, not just something that I want to be done. And so James says, if you're suffering, maybe it's poverty, maybe it's persecution, pray. But he also says, if you're cheerful, worship God. Now that word cheerful there in this passage, lots of different translations go different ways with that. Some of them it's about joy. Some say something like feeling good. What it really means at its core is sort of feeling good about life even when life is not perfect. Or maybe when life does feel perfect. But either way, understanding that we can be good in that situation. Because there are times when, like maybe today, you came to this place and life is just, man, it's one of those days where The weather's good, the family's good, things are headed in the right direction, you feel awesome, and it is awesome to worship God. Or maybe you came here today, and things are not so awesome. It's not perfect. There's something that messed up, something you're worried about, something that you're afraid is going to happen or has already happened, and you don't know how to fix it. And what James says is that Either way we we find ourselves, there is still a place for worship. Because either way, God is still an awesome God, 
God is still a powerful God. God is still a loving God. And He deserves our worship whether life is awesome or whether it's not so awesome. Either way, He's an awesome God. And so we respond in worship. So, James, in just this one verse says, if, if you're suffering, talk to God. If you're cheerful, if you're feeling good about life, talk to God. There's a theme there. Whatever's going on in life, we should pray. And then he deals with a little more specific kind of instance in the next verse, verse 14. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so suffering, cheerful. If you're sick, it's time to pray. Now we remember we're dealing with people in the ancient world who didn't have medical facilities, medical professionals, medical knowledge that we have available in our culture. And so they, they really didn't have a lot that could bring healing to them. So their natural inclination is if you're sick, let's pray. But you know what? Even today, I think we feel some of that. Because when our bodies are not right, we know it. We feel it. And it's hard to do what we would normally do. It affects us emotionally and physically. It affects us spiritually when our bodies are not feeling good. And so, sometimes our natural response is to pray. And the truth is, sometimes God brings healing in powerful ways that no one seems to understand. And sometimes God brings healing because He's provided His truth to people who have researched it and studied it and know how to treat serious sickness. Either way, God's at work. And so when we're sick, it makes sense to pray. In fact, James takes it a step further. He says if you're sick, go to the elders of your church and call them in to anoint you with oil and pray for you. And at one level we go, that seems a little like, that's sort of weird, right? Like, why would you do that? And in the ancient world, if we study a little bit, we find out that sometimes they would treat wounds with oil to try to bring healing. But also that there are also times when, when they anointed people with oil, they poured oil on people's heads as a symbolic gesture pointing to God's presence in their life. So which one is James talking about? Maybe a little of both. But there have been times when people have come to the leaders of the church and said, would you come and anoint me with oil? And pray over me. And you know what? We're glad to do that. Scripture instructs it here. And maybe we don't believe it's going to bring a lot of healing to the body, but it does point to God's presence, and God brings healing to the body. So we're ready to do that. But, but take that a little bit broader. If you have prayer needs, communicate them to us. We want to pray for you. I know our elders and staff, the prayer team, and others. I mean, it's an honor for us for you to bring a prayer request to us and ask us to pray for you. So don't be afraid to do that. Let us know how we can pray for you. James says it's powerful when we pray for one another, that it makes a difference. He goes on. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now that verse is a little harder for us to understand. We get, okay, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, pray. That all makes pretty good sense to us. We can understand that. But then this verse says things like, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. 
And we say, I don't really fully understand that because you see there's people that have been part of this church, people in my family, people that I love, and I've prayed for them when they were sick and they didn't get better. In fact, they died. So what is James talking about? It seems like a guarantee that if we pray, people are going to get well. Is that what James means, though? You know, James lived in a world just like ours, where good Christian people, people who love Jesus, people who serve Jesus, got sick and they died. He knew that. So what's he saying? Notice that he doesn't say, and the prayer of faith will heal the one who's sick. He says it will save them. Sometimes salvation is not physical healing. Sometimes salvation is eternal. You know, here's the question. Is it better to be healed physically or to be saved for eternity? One is always temporary. One is eternal. So I think James is pointing to something bigger here. Yeah, sometimes, you know, we may pray for one another, we may pray for ourselves, and our bodies are healed. Sometimes by medical professionals, sometimes because God is at work. Either way, it's the power of God. And sometimes we'll pray, and our physical bodies, which are not made to last forever, will die. But there is salvation even beyond death. And James points to the forgiveness of sin in this verse. And, and, you know, in the ancient world, there were a lot of people who believed that, that sickness was the result of sin. Like either you've done something and it caused sickness, or you've done something and God's sort of striking back at you by making you sick. Well, Jesus makes it clear that's not always the case. We see that in other New Testament places. I think James knew that as well. But he did want to talk about forgiveness of sin because he's talking about salvation. When we go to God and we ask for forgiveness, James 1.9 is clear, 1 John 1.9 is clear that he is faithful to forgive us. And so we can look forward to that. Last verse I want us to read. Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. James says this is not just about us and God. This is about us and God. It's not just the, this one relationship between me and God, but we together have a responsibility. We come together for prayer for each other. He even says confess your sins to one another. We don't want to do that. I don't want to talk about my sin with you. That's me and God, right? But James knows there's power in one Christian saying to another Christian, this is where I'm messing up right now. This is where I need help. This is where I need you to pray for me. James understood that when we get that out, we begin to have power over it that we did not have when it was a secret. And that we can help one another overcome sin. And we can pray for the power of God to be at work in our lives to bring forgiveness and to bring strength against temptation. So, as we hear James sort of say all that and we bring it down together, well, what do we really learn from this passage? What is he teaching us? And I think it's pretty simple. Whatever comes your way, pray. Whether it's suffering, whether you feel really good about life, 
whether it's sickness, whether it's sin, whatever comes your way, pray. Our response to life is prayer. Now, sometimes that means we're going to praise God for what He's doing, and sometimes that means we're going to seek God out and ask Him to deal with something that seems broken in our lives. But whatever comes your way, pray. Now, practically, how do we do that? Well, several quick things I want to lay out for you. The first is this. Set a time. You know, if I don't set a time and make it intentional, nothing happens. And that's true across life, all right? If I have just, well, I really need to do this and never say I'm going to do it here at this time in this place, probably not going to happen. And it's true for prayer. Every morning when I get to the office, that's my time to pray. Now, I can do that like I'm a professional Christian. I work here, right? So nobody's going to complain if I pray when I come to work. That may not be the case for you. Maybe you have to do it when you get up in the morning or after breakfast or in the evening at lunch on your commute. I don't know. But set a time and choose that time to pray. Second, make a list. Make a list of people that you know need your prayers. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe they're trying to deal with something really difficult in life, a challenge that they've taken on. Maybe their marriage is struggling. Maybe their kids are making terrible decisions. But there are people around you who need your prayer. Make a list of those people. But it's not just people. Pray for the church. Pray for your workplace. Pray for the school where your kids uh, attend every day. There are places, there are groups, and there are people, and they all need prayer. And pray for stuff that you need to give thanks for. It's easy to overcome ourselves with stuff we need to ask God for, but we also need to be giving thanks to God. Maybe some simple things, like we're living indoors, like we know there's going to be food today. Give thanks for those. And the way that God's been at work. Sometimes you're, the things you're asking God for, that prayer list can become something you thank God for when He acts in a clear and powerful way. And you know, you don't have to give thanks and you don't have to pray for every one of those things every day. Maybe you divide it up seven ways. Pray for one each day. I don't know. But don't feel guilty if you don't do all of it. But make a list. Make a list. And then fill your day. Fill your life with prayer. Make it an ongoing conversation. It's not just that one time a day, but get in the habit of, as you live life, as you go through your day, something challenges you, pray about it. When you feel tension and anxiety, pray about it. When something awesome happens, pray about it. Make life this conversation with God so that God is a part of not just one segment of life, but all of life. You might be surprised how that changes your day and changes you couple of quick little side notes. Start small. You may know people who are like spiritual giants and they talk about praying for an hour every day. Awesome. Don't start there. Pray with something small. Okay? Begin small. That's okay. A little bit of prayer, better than no prayer. Just get started with it and then show yourself some grace. You miss a day. You forget. Things get busy. It's okay. Start the next day. Keep going. You know, we began today thinking about help and how it's not a bad word. As we attempt to live out our faith, we all need help. We need God's help and we need each other. There is no reason for us to pretend that we've got all this together, that we've got it figured out, because none of us do, not one. We need each other. And the sooner we recognize our need for God's help, 
and the help of one another, the better off we're going to be. So whatever comes your way, pray. Let's pray now. Now we are so thankful that when we come to you and we tell you what we need and we tell you what we're thankful for, you listen. And we know you don't have to. You're not obligated to. You choose to. And so God, we bring our needs to you today. There are things on the hearts of different people in the room that are difficult and they're struggling. And God, we just ask that you would be active and present in those situations. And God, we give thanks for the way you've blessed us, just the fact that we could come together for worship today, that we could see one another. We're thankful for that. God, be at work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God really does work in powerful ways and Certainly we see that clearly on the cross. We see the fact that he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And if you're ready to receive those gifts, we'd love to walk with you on that journey of receiving them. A great step is just to come forward during the song and express where you are and where you want to go. Do that. Come forward as we sing our song of invitation. Let's stand together.